Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Alright guys, what's up? What's up? Hey, I know some of you guys are making your way in here, so we're going to have a, a, little, a little buffer as people start to walk in. I'm really, really glad that you guys are here. Um, I'm, I have so much enjoyed this semester for a couple reasons. It's, it's a great thing when you look out here and you see a room full of guys that got up early uh, to get in God's Word. That's an exciting thing. Second thing that I'm really, really excited about is we got to spend the entire semester in, in a book going verse by verse. And that, that is a really, really good thing to get a book of the Bible in its context. Um, every break, sometimes a break is good. You know, when a coach calls a timeout, sometimes it's, it's a bad timeout. They want to get on to somebody, but a lot of times it's just a timeout is a good thing. So we're taking a break. This will be our last man challenge of the semester. We will start back up January the 19th, 6 a.m. We're going to be here. Some of you all are already thinking about what that next step of faith looks like. All right. Um, make sure that you share that with your table leader because we want to we want to see you take that. We want to encourage you to take your next step of faith, whatever that may be. Generosity challenge. If you have not seen Ronnie or myself or Andy to pick up your money where we're doing the single mom, mothers and widows, we, we want to make sure that you get that today. So if you have not picked up your money to, to go out and bless a family, make sure you do that today. Men's conference, I'm super excited about this. December the 10th from 8 to noon. If you are not signed up for that, make sure that you register for that. It's going to be time of equipping all of us. Every one of us can grow in the area of equipping. That's going to be a fantastic time. Prayer, prayer gathering. The first Thursday of every month, starting at the beginning of the year, we're going to meet in this room beforehand. If you want, the first Thursday of every month at 515. We'll go from 515 to 545. So if some of you guys want to join us in prayer the first Thursday of every month, prayer is not part of the work. Prayer is the work. And so, man, I would love for any handful of guys, if you want to do that, 515, the first Thursday of every month. A couple more announcements with you. I always want to celebrate these. Austin Clemens, where you at, Austin? Austin's getting married November 26th to Katie. That is a fantastic thing. Hey, marriage is a great thing. Marriage is not a good thing. It is a great thing, man. So I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm excited about you um, with Katie as well. Andrew Norton was baptized. Where's Andrew? I'm sorry, Andrew Norton baptizes oldest son, Eli. Where's Andrew at? Is he here? That's good stuff. Give it up for that anyway, okay? Jim Burns, where's Jim at? Jim, Jim, Jim was baptized. Give it up for Jim. That's awesome. Fantastic. Hey, one of the things that we want to do when we are creating a culture of disciple-making Okay, we always want to keep our values and our, the things that we want to talk about in the dashboard. We always want to talk about those. One of our values is creating a heart to invest in others. 
creating a heart to invest in others. I want to have a guy out that he's made a, a lifetime of that. Steve Wigginton, come on out, Steve. Give it up for Steve. <laughs> Steve has been on staff with FCA for 35 years. Man, he's, um, he's been very influential in my life. Um, I've been on staff for 25 years. Part of that is because I watched this guy do it uh, for so long. When we talk about a heart to invest in others, we automatically think community service, um, which is a great thing. We think of generosity challenge. We think of single moms and widows. However, we miss some other things that maybe are right in front of our face. Okay, Steve, tell us a little bit about the father-daughter dance coming up. First of all, we between Morgan and I, we have some girls in our house, man. I got three, he's, he's got three. And uh, so raise your hand if you got a daughter. Anybody got a daughter? Oh, look at that. Wow. I, I, I tell, real quickly, I tell people that God looks at some houses and he, and he says how um, that house needs another boy in the house. And then he looks at other houses and he said, that guy is such a stud. There's no reason to put any more boys in that house. So I'll, we'll give him daughters. So we, we got a lot of daughters. Um, we've been doing this FCA father-daughter dance for, gosh, uh, a long time. And uh, we hold it at Louisville Slugger Field. It's in a kind of athletic venue. And it is uh, Saturday, February 4th from 7 to 9. I uh, don't know if you do many dates with your daughter. And, and it doesn't really matter how old they are because, uh, well, I guess it does. Uh, the, the daughter dances for elementary through high school this year. And it's uh, just a, a fun thing where... You don't have to be this incredible dancer. We have someone who actually does some instruction and kind of walks you through. And so her job is to make you look like you know what you're doing. Mm. Um, I, all my girls mm. have been to that. And it's a, it's a fun time. I don't think you just have to choose between one. Man, you can take them all. And that's why I said a heart to invest in others. Let us not always worry about others when we miss investing in the heart of the people in our own. And I challenge you, it's a great thing. There's a, there's a card on your, on your table, but there's also the, um, the graphic there on the screen. Can, okay, can another I, thing. Can I, can I say one yeah. thing? Even if you don't have a daughter, I'll throw this out there. There are, there are men who bring maybe someone in their neighborhood who you know the, the daughter doesn't have a dad in her life, and, uh, but that's a, a kind of a special time that they can get dressed up and come and feel like, man, they are treated royally that night. So if God has not placed a, a daughter in your household, but there is someone that you know, man, that would mean the world to that little girl to have someone take her. That, that's something, too. And, and we do offer scholarships uh, that if no matter what someone's financial situation is, uh, if that's something that don't, don't let money keep you from bringing a daughter or, or someone in your neighborhood. Yeah. Another way to invest in the heart of others. Okay. Steve, how many schools does FCA serve in the area? Uh, 126. 126. Okay. You do the math on that. If every school has, I don't know, 15 sports, you do the math on that. That's too much for me to do, but that's a lot of sports. Steve and his staff, uh, along with FCA at University of Louisville, we are allowed and are actually encouraged in some places to put speakers in front of sports teams to share their faith. Tell us a little bit about a character coach or maybe speaking at a huddle. Yeah, we go to the coaches who are in season. Whoever's in season right now, it's looking like boys and girls basketball, wrestling, cheer dance. Those are the ones that are in season for winter. We'll just go to the coach and say, hey, if you'd like to have someone from FCA come 
and be your character coach. They're going to come. You can't force your team to come, but if it's right before practice or right when practice is, is over, then they're choosing to come. And for like 10, 12 minutes each week, that person comes in, does a little devotion that kind of relates their sport to God's Word. Uh, that person is there to form relationships with those players all season, and it's a blast. Um, it's, it's a way to get God's Word out there in a context where those players understand. But we're always looking for guys and women because we put girls in front of girls' teams, guys in front of guys' teams, who are willing to say, hey, once a week, we're going to come. And the person, we kind of match up your schedule. If, if, if the coach needs somebody on Wednesdays at 2.30 and that works with you, or Mondays at, at 2.30, but we try to match your schedule up and put you in, in front of teams that you're comfortable being in front of. And here's where, as he shares that, that, that bit of information, whereas we are creating a disciple-making culture, some of you all have a desire, man, that sounds pretty cool. I have no clue what I would say. Now that here's where I want to step in and say, we want to we help you with that. No, we don't want to put you in front of a team and you have no idea what you're going to say. As he gives that, that commercial and that announcement, maybe some of us aren't in a place where we need to be, but we like to be. Myself, Ronnie, a lot of others, maybe even your table leader, we want to talk to you what it's like to share your story. It's called a testimony. What was your life before Christ? What was the defining moment where Christ got a hold of your life? And what has your life been like since? Man, I would love to help you with that. Maybe like, man, I'd love to take a, just a couple verses of Scripture and be able to share devotion with that. That would be a cool thing to walk into a, a school and share that with um, some high school, middle school students. That's part of disciple making. That's what we want to do. That's part of equipping. That's my heart. My heart will always be discipleship. So if, you, if something's stirring in your heart and you want to do that, please reach out to me. I want to make some time. I want to carve out some time to meet with you, and, and we can make that happen. Sound good? Thanks, Wig. Okay. I'm going to bring out Sam Reeder. Sam Reeder is going to be our speaker for today. Give it up for Sam. We didn't, we didn't go through the questions because you know this guy. Man, this guy, you cut this dude, Bible's going to bleed out of him. And I love that about Sam Reader. So I'm going to pray for him, and he's going to jump in God's word. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. I'm thankful for, for Sam. Thankful for his marriage with Jess, his boys. Father, I pray that for the next few moments, Lord, I pray that he will hide behind his Bible. That he will let the word of God speak. You use him in such a mighty way. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Morning, guys. Uh, every year, my wife and I celebrate our wedding anniversary by going out to dinner. Uh, the first year for our very first wedding anniversary, we went to Stony River, and we had such a good experience that we've gone back almost every year. We've been married nine years now. And we are creatures of habit, I'm not ashamed to say it, and we have a good experience, so we go back to the same place, and I almost always order the same thing, which may sound boring, but in my mind, if you know what you're going to get and it's a good experience, why not just do the same thing? Uh, so, you know, we, we get there and um, they bring out hot bread. I eat some of that. We order a nap because why not? You eat some of that. You eat some more bread. You look at the menu and it only comes with one side. So maybe I'll tack a salad on. You eat some of that. You eat some more bread. By the time the crazy expensive filet comes out with the, the brick of all gratin potatoes, I'm not even hungry anymore, Right? 
And so, but, you know, you're pot committed, so you keep eating, and you get into this, and you get down to the last bit, and you're like, man, there's a lot of money still sitting on this plate right now, and I am packed to the gills. And so then, here comes the waiter, and it's this proverbial crossing the roads. Hey, you finished with that? And then you've got a choice to make, right? And since we've gone to the same place, I've seen how this plays out in a lot of different ways. So, there, well, actually, I have never been one to throw in the towel and say, yeah, I'll go chuck this in the trash can. I haven't waved the white flag in that regard. Um, typically, I'll kind of grunt and think, you know, I'm a man, I can do this. And you power through the last few ounces, and then you just want to vomit for the next day and a half, which is a bad decision, but it's as good as it's ever going to be in that moment. Why not plow through? Or, or you think, okay, we'll pack this up and we'll take it home. You put it on the roof of the car, you go open your wife's door, right? And then you leave it on the roof of the car and you drive out. So it's played out that way. Um, you put it in the back, in the floorboard. You're like, this will not fall off the roof of my car. You get home. The last thing you want to think about is food. You go right in. It's the next day when you walk out and get in your car. You're like, what's that smell? Oh, that was the last $15 of my steak. Awesome. Or you're real intentional. You get it to the fridge and you bury it in the back because there's all the stuff in the front. And a few weeks later, you're like, oh, no. And you pull it open, it looks like blue cheese. It's terrible. Throw it away. That's kind of a sign of defeat. Uh, or you're real intentional and you're like, I am going to heat this up tomorrow. But it was already cooked perfect. So no matter what I do, I'm going to overcook this legendary filet. I can't do that. And then you slice it up and give it to your dogs, which is both terrible and awesome, depending on your opinion of that. But there's a lot of ways those last few bites can play out. And I was even thinking about this backstage, and I looked down, and I have no idea whose this is. And this was sitting in the back just now. I found this. Somebody got this real fancy drink and got down to that last little bite and said, no, it's not worth it. I'm done with it. Well, this week we are down to the very last little bite of 2 Timothy. The last bit. If last week what Terrence taught was the P.S., this is certainly the P.P.S., the post-postscript. That's the last little chunk. And we've seen in chapter 3 that Paul says to Timothy that all scripture, every bit of it, is profitable, it's useful, it, it, it's for the good of man to, 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 to use it to be equipped for every good work, for everything we're called to, everything we need is in here. And if that's true, then that certainly means that our text today has real value in it. And if we believe it, then how we handle this text will be evidence that we believe that there is real value in every bit. Because as we turn to this text, we're going to see it can feel like a flyover passage. At first glance, it's going to be like, I wonder if we should do this. In fact, if I can tell the story real quick, last week in Chapel in the Woods, I was sitting next to a buddy who, when Terrence read his section, nudged me and goes, oh man, whoever's got next week is going to be tough. And I was like, tell me about it. So anyways, here we go. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 19, we read, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Putin's, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. So the first time I read that section, I thought, I better chew on this some. And so I went back and I've reread sections of 2 Timothy, and then really a helpful practice is just to read the whole letter in one fell swoop. This is a great thing to do with whole books of the Bible. And you can read the whole letter of 2 Timothy in about 10 minutes or less, truthfully. 
And so as I went and just reread the whole letter and just thought through what can I glean from this passage based on the whole, one of the reoccurring themes I just see over and over and over in this letter is that of relationships. Constantly, Paul just keeps talking to Timothy about all of these relationships. And these last few lines seem to just be primarily about people and relationships. And it's not just good relationships that come up. In in chapter 1, when Burke taught, we saw uh, there was a few guys with some fancy names, Phygelus and Hermogenes, who basically stirred everybody up in Asia against Paul. And he juxtaposed them with this guy, Onesiphorus, who was the only one who showed up for him. And then in chapter 2, we read about Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were going around spreading false teaching about the resurrection. In chapter 3, he mentions Janes and Jambres, who opposed Moses. Last week, Terence and his section talked about Demas, who abandoned him, and Alex the coppersmith, who did him great harm. So yeah, there's a lot of relationships in this letter, but there's, there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of tough pain that Paul is warning Timothy about and ma- making mention of. And here, the last few breaths, you've heard this a thousand times almost this semester, Paul is writing from a Roman, essentially, dungeon prison, awaiting his execution, And it's almost as if he's on his deathbed and these are his last lines. And he's talking about people. So let's just keep in mind, if this is the word of God and every bit of it is useful, let's just try to walk through this text and chew on it and see what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy and by extension, the rest of the body of Christ. Fair enough? So the the text opens, verse 19 again, to greet Prisca and Aquila. Your text may say Priscilla and Aquila. Um, just a shameless plug, back at the end of July, Ben Stewart was a guest speaker here on Sundays, and he taught um, on Priscilla and Aquila in the middle of a marriage series we did. Like, Legitimately, I would encourage you to make note of that and go listen to it again. It was some of the best teaching I think I've heard on just biblical marriage. And I'll summarize some of what he said, but really just talking about the Bible is essentially what he did. But Priscilla and Aquila. So Paul says to Timothy... Here in these last breaths, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. So what we know in piecing things together about this this famous couple in the church is that at some point they were uh, Jewish Christians who lived in Rome. And the Christians caused a lot of distress and division in that town, in that city, because uh, people were trying to figure out, well, what do we believe now? Are we Jews? Are we Christians? Do we follow Christ? Are we still waiting for the Messiah? And there was all this turmoil. And Claudius was the emperor and said, I want to deal with that. Get out. And he kicked all the Christians out of Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila pack up and they eventually land in Corinth. And they're tent makers. And so they own their own business. They're doing their own thing. They've got a house there. Paul meets them in Corinth. He also is a tent maker. Maybe he just joins their business. Who knows? But he he lives with them, it seems. And the church in Corinth, if you've ever read 1 and 2 Corinthians, the church in Corinth starts in their house. And, and they're there together for about a year and a half. And then Paul says, okay, it's time to take the gospel to Ephesus. And when he packs up to go to Ephesus, he takes his crew with him. That includes Priscilla and Aquila. So they move to Ephesus. And it just so happens the church in Ephesus also starts in their home. And you start to think about these people like they must have been pretty affluent, pretty successful to have a house big enough to host all these people gathering and meeting all the time. And they also seem just very available and flexible to go where they believe the the Spirit of God is calling the Word to go. Now, I was at a meeting a couple months ago, one of our own here who has a really big house, who uses it to open it up once a month to guys to get together and just talk about Jesus. 
What a beautiful picture of using your resources for the kingdom. Priscilla and Aquila, there's also this famous story where this traveling preacher, Apollos, comes through town, and he is a rock star, but he's a little bit off in some of his theology, and they lovingly pull him aside, and they show him a more excellent way. Just time and time again, they show up, and Paul, in these last breaths, is remembering them. And he says, hey, Timothy, greet, greet Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is like a nickname for Priscilla. Greet them, which tells me they're in Ephesus with Timothy. And so these rock stars in the faith, Paul is saying, hey, don't forget, they're there with you too. Like what a word of encouragement that is to be injected into you. And also, I think it's interesting to note, Priscilla's name is listed first. If you've ever studied them or this topic, that's significant. Like typically the name that pops up when you give a duo is the one that's more significant or uh, the, the key player in that field that you're talking about. So if we're talking about ministry, if we're talking about the Burks and I wanted to talk about baseball, I would probably say Chris and Sarah Burke, right? And then anything else, I'd probably say Sarah and Chris Burke, right? Fair? Okay. So he says, regarding ministry, Prisca and Aquila, if there ever was a Christian or a, a biblical author who had very specific thoughts on the roles of women and men and, and, and what marriage looks like. It was certainly the Apostle Paul and he has no problem mentioning Priscilla first. And as I just kind of chewed on that and thought about it, man, I remembered a couple weeks ago when Bob was here, he talked about his wife Judy just wrote a book on hospitality and you could just see him beaming about it. And the more I thought about it, really the church is the bride of Christ and when the church is shining, Jesus looks good. When his bride is shining, he looks good. And so part of our role in being the, the spiritual leaders in our homes, I believe, is recognizing where the Lord, where the Spirit has gifted each of us and leveraging that for the good of the kingdom. I have a guy at my table who he and his, uh, he and his bride are not quite newlyweds, but it's still early in the game, and they've just got a house. And he has, he has recognized she is a gift, a gift for hospitality. And he's a little less outspoken and kind of more reserved, but he's found if I'll just be willing and open, man, my bride can shine at loving on our neighbors. So to the married men in the room, let me just ask, like, are, are we leveraging our marriage that if somebody on their, on their deathbed almost, in their last thoughts, they would remember us and how we have leveraged every bit of it for the kingdom? Are we doing that? And the single guys, you're not off the hook either, because Paul, who's writing this, he himself is single, Right? And in another letter has said, hey, if it was up to me, I wish you'd all be single because you married guys got a lot to take care of. You got to keep your wife happy and God. Good luck. I wish you were all single because then you can just focus on ministry all the time. That'd be awesome. And so to the, to the single guys, I would also say like, man, you probably have some margin in your time that other guys don't. Like, are you leveraging it for the kingdom? Because I, I think part of the message here is that we are called to be faithful stewards of whatever God makes us stewards over. That we are called to be faithful stewards over whatever God has entrusted us with. And so he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. So it's interesting here that he says the household. He doesn't say, hey, say what's up to Ronnie and the Cordrays. He doesn't say, hey, say what's up to Ronnie. He says, hey, say what's up to Ronnie's family. So a lot of commentators think there was a good chance Onesiphorus had passed away at this point. And that's why he doesn't say, say what's up to him. And he's remembering Onesiphorus' family. There was a time where it seemed like everybody opposed Paul, except Onesiphorus showed up. 
He says that um, there was a time when they were all against him and Onesiphorus came and he refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. He said he was in prison and no one in Rome came to see him. But Onesiphorus came and didn't just like have a one-way ticket straight to him, but hunted him down and tracked him down and found him and cared for him. When Paul was alone and no one was there, this guy came to his aid. And it wasn't easy to do, but this guy showed up for him. And Paul, now right near the end of his life, is remembering not only that guy, but that guy's family. I think that's significant. I could be wrong, maybe Onesiphorus was still alive and maybe he just did ministry with his family and that's why he sees him as one collective family, but I think there's a good chance he had passed and Paul has not forgotten him. And I, as I've kind of dwelt on that, I just think about like, man, if you, if you love my family, boy, that's an expression that you really love me. So uh, about a month ago when I taught here last, that same morning, I taught here at like 6 a.m., a few hours later, I got a frantic phone call from my wife that our youngest had had an accident and was going to have to go uh, downtown to the hospital. So I was at a meeting with a group of guys. We were working on some things, and I had to literally run out of the room, sprint to Target. I beat the ambulance there, but we had an accident. In a moment, I'm going to have Larry throw a picture up on the screen, and I'm going to warn you, it is gory. Uh, And I'm not being dramatic about that it's pretty nasty so if you're not into that avert your eyes and and don't look at it uh but my son did a swan dive not so gracefully out of a cart at target and hit his head right above his right eyebrow and it looked like this yeah uh and so the next picture we get to the emergency room uh and they put about 12 stitches in him some internal and some external and then one more picture this was just this past weekend. He's good now. So, praise God, kids are resilient. Um, but, so think about this. My wife's at Target. The little one falls out. She turns him over and sees that and thinks, holy smokes. She wants to cover it and is like, oh, my hands are dirty. That thing is wide open. I'm not putting my hands on that. What do I do? She picks him up to go run for help. There's blood everywhere. Doesn't find help. Turns around and doesn't see our four-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, no, now I've lost Eli. And it is like a mom's worst nightmare. So by the time I got there, my wife was a wreck. It was a highly stressful moment. She gets in the ambulance and is heading downtown. And I'm, I'm taking the older one and we're riding separately down there. And I have two buddies from my table who work at Cosair or Norton Women's and Children. And they were waiting in the emergency room when the ambulance pulled in. They gave my wife a hug and they assured her and said, it's, I know it looks bad, but it's, it's okay. He's safe. It's going to be all right. I couldn't be there. I was stuck in traffic. And those guys were there and they loved my family in ways that I couldn't. And I can tell you guys right now, like, you can come cut my grass. You could give me money. But there isn't nothing to compare to loving my family as an extension of you loving me. Like, that means more than anything. And so Paul, you think about how Onesiphorus was the only one who was there for him. And he, in these last moments, says to Timothy, Greet the household of Onesiphorus because they're in Ephesus there with you. So talk about an injection of courage. Man, there are some rock stars right there with you, Timothy. I know you're facing opposition. I know it's tough. I know you're inclined to be timid. Bro, you got some rock stars around you. Can I just say, there are a ton of rock stars in this room. Like if you're in a low spot and you feel isolated and alone and you feel like the suffering is hard to endure, like Timothy 
and, and Paul's trying to speak courage in him, there are a ton of rock stars in this room who are not perfect, but are available, and who are all in on Jesus and want to walk with you and encourage you. There's a good chance if you simply look to your left and right, you'll see a couple of them. I would encourage you guys to lean into that. We see this in the last breaths, relationships matter. So moving on in the text, verses 20 and 21, we'll put them together. Paul says, again, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. And so we get this kind of list of names. Paul has just said, hey, there's, there's these people there with you. I want you to say hi to them. Now he's saying, there's a couple people who aren't with either one of us. I'm telling you where they are. And then he says, there's some people with me who are telling you hi. So it's like three different groups. And so these first two, Erastus stays in Corinth. So uh, as you kind of scour through scripture in Acts 19, we're told that Paul sent Timothy and this guy named Erastus off together as a duo and sent them to Macedonia and he stayed in the Asian province, which as far as maps go, don't make a lot of difference to most of us. But the point is, Timothy had ran with Erastus. Like they were ministry partners and went on a mission trip together. So he probably cares about this guy. And in the section prior, what Terrence was in last week, he talks about Demas, this dude who had been there and abandoned the faith. And I think Paul might be trying to make sure he's clearing these guys' names to say, hey, Erastus, he's in Corinth. He didn't take off running. We know where he is. And in, uh, in Romans 16, we're told that Erastus is a city director or he's a city councilman uh, in Corinth. So he's like a government official. So his job is in Corinth. And so he's been available to do things, but he's gone back likely to work. And Paul's saying, hey, if you're looking for Erastus, you know where to find him. He, he's up the road. And then for this other guy, Trophimus, I left him sick in Miletus. Trophimus is this guy that uh, in Acts 21, Paul is hanging out with this dude who is an Ephesian. He's not a Jew. And so Terrence made mention again of this last week that there was a, a, basically a riot that rose up where the Jews were like, he brought that dude in here. He better not have taken him in the temple. They start this whole riot and that's where Paul gets arrested for the first time. And so Paul is hanging out with government officials and people from the wrong end of the town that just being associated with them seems to be bad news. He doesn't seem to have one standard group of people that he's willing to be around. It seems like the gospel goes to everybody. Isn't that beautiful? And so Erastus is in Corinth. Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. He's like, that dude didn't abandon me. I had to leave him sick. He was a guy that just being associated with him got me arrested I love that dude enough that I would get arrested just for being his friend. That's fine. So I wonder how hard it was for him to leave his brother sick and move on. And I think part of just the message in that is that, man, brothers are needed in different places. If I'm real with you guys, like legitimately, I love Mason Bramer. Like he is a brother. Like I love that guy and a lot of you love him too. And part of me hates that he's not here with us. But he is up in Canada building community, teaching men about what we've experienced here and they're getting to experience it there. And he may never live anywhere near here again. But I can trust that God is going to be faithful and work through him wherever he is. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, these two guys, they aren't with me, they aren't with you, but they're doing their thing. He says, get here before winter if you can. 
Last week he had said, grab your coat, grab my coat at old buddy's house and bring it here. And I think this is just a small plug. One, that like, if, if Timothy is going to travel to Rome and go visit Paul, it's a long journey. And in winter, it's going to be even harder. But here's also just what I'm thinking. Paul has made mention over and over. Like, he knows, I'm going to die here, probably. They're going to execute me. Could be any day, and I'm okay with it. But just in case it's not right now, I'm going to have to get through winter. Let's be practical. Bring me my coat. Bring me my parchment. Bring me the scriptures. He's so flexible in whatever scenario that God places him in. That's so convicting to me, because I am a control freak. (laughs) And Paul is saying, hey, I'm probably going to die next week, but if I don't, I'm going to need a coat to get through this winter. I'd rather not freeze to death. But I think just a word in that is just like your flexibility in whatever situation to be content, to go to Philippians 4 where, Paul, or where Bob was this week. Like if we're going to be content in any and every circumstance, it is just a surrendering to the gospel and our role in it. And so Paul says, try to come before winter if you can. Eubulus greets you, so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. Of that whole list... Man, there's not a whole lot in there. Um, Linus probably is the dude that becomes the first pope, or sorry, the first bishop in Rome. And other than that, we don't know much about this, this Claudius or Pudens or Eubulus. Uh, but catch, he says, the brothers, and your translations may say brothers and sisters. So it's a whole family. So again, thinking about this, Paul's arrested, he goes to Rome, and he says at one point in chapter one, nobody. Nobody was there until Onesiphorus came and stuck his neck out for me, hunted all over, and he found me. So at one point, he had nobody. At one point, he had one dude in his corner. And now, he's writing to Timothy saying, here's the people with me greeting you. Here's four of them, and then all the brothers and sisters. So now it seems like there's at least a church or or a house group that are with Paul. And it's just like the faithfulness of God to continue to put people around him in any and every season. And he just trusts that God's going to show up. And over and over and over through this letter, his encouragement to Timothy is to just be faithful. And so I think one of the points to draw out from that is that we need one another. And like we know that, but it's helpful to hear it. Like we legitimately need, we get this idea as men that I'm just going to be this lone wolf and go do my thing because I'm so tough and strong. But like legitimately, we need relationships. We need each other. And in light of that, we should be grateful. Like to reflect today as we go to table times and to think about like big picture in your story, yes. But even just like in the past 13 weeks of this semester, like the relationships just at your table that have deepened, that have developed, that have matured, that God has worked through, and that God has put in your life, and also that God has put you in their life to have impact. Relationships are something that we need, and we should be grateful for them. I think about uh, seven and a half years ago, there was a man challenge table that was busting at the seams. They had grown, and they had been together for a while, and they knew each other really, really well, had shared their full stories, were what we would like to call being, they were fully known, And you don't want to split that up. Like when you feel comfortable and safe in that environment, that's a hard thing to let go of. And they said, we are busting at the seams. We need to make room for more. And they pushed against their flesh and they multiplied and one table turned into three, which now has turned into, I don't know, 48, who knows. But uh, I just, for a year, I got invited because they multiplied. That made room for more and that's where I got invited. And I came in for a year, just sat with Chris and Red and Cam and Chip, and Lance, and Aaron, 
and Simon and Rob and Keith and William and Coach Bib and Bake and Stephen. <laughs> and God just put these people in my life. And for a year, some of those dudes I haven't seen in a long time. But some of those dudes have continued to pour into me ever since. Some of us are in different places. Some of us aren't. And just the Lord is so faithful to work through relationships to encourage me, to sharpen me. And I pray that he did the same through me to them. And then from those guys, I met Ronnie. And through Ronnie, I met guys like Henry and Barry and Jim Shahey and Jay. And the list, Brett, the list just goes on and on and on. The Lord is just so faithful that we need relationships and we should be grateful for them. And so just to be real honest with you guys, like this text has made me personally just have to reflect on the past seven and a half years of my life and just think about, man, I am truly grateful for you men. So many of you have been so gracious with me, have been, have been sharpening to me, have been encouraging to me, who have spoken life into me. I would not be who I am today if it weren't for the men in this room. I fully believe that. And I pray that by the Lord's grace, he can work through me to encourage many of you too. And so I pray that like this text would cause all of us to reflect on those relationships and to ultimately thank God, the one who's the giver of good gifts, and to say, man, he is so good to me. We need relationships and we should be thankful for them. Last verse. Verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So think about this. The Apostle Paul, who's written two-thirds of the New Testament, Just this hero in the faith, this is his last recorded words. Yes, there's a book after this in the Bible, but chronologically, this is essentially his final breath that's recorded in Scripture. And he says to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, that's written in the singular, and the second half, grace be with you. Yours may have a footnote that says you all, that's written in the plural. So let's talk about that. Grace be, or the Lord be with your spirit. He's talking singularly to Timothy here. So these are the last words he says to his son in the faith. He has said a lot of things to Timothy up to this point. He has said, bro, you you didn't come from nothing. You've known the scripture since childhood. Eunice and Lois, your mom, your grandma, they passed their faith on to you. We laid hands on you. We prophesied over you. We commissioned you. Yeah, you may feel timid. Don't let anybody discourage you because you're young. You set an example. Stand on the word. Preach the word. Know the word. Find men who are able to teach and pass it on to them. Endure suffering. Look at my example. Look at the example of Christ. You're going to suffer. Be prepared for it. You can endure. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God in you. He has said a lot of strong, forceful commands to Timothy, the son in the faith, over and over and over for these four chapters as we have read. But here at the end, he says, the Lord be with your spirit. The last thought he wants to give his son in the faith is Jesus. Like, Prisca and Aquila and and Onesiphorus' family, they're all there with you, and that's great. I've got great nuggets and tidbits of wisdom to pass on to you. That's great. Experience is great. But if you get any of this, if you're in there, if you can hear any of this, look to Jesus. The Lord be with your spirit. The last word he gives Timothy, if you catch anything from any of this letter, look at Jesus. In the section before 2 Timothy 4.16, we saw this last week, Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May, not, may it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. When I had nobody, Jesus stood by me. When I had a whole crew, Jesus stood by me. Timothy, whatever you face, whatever's going on, the main hope I can give you, the most courage I can inject to you, my son, is that the Lord is with your spirit. Look to Jesus. That's strong. And the second line here, he says, grace be with you all. So that's, that's written in the plural. So what that really tells us is that the intention for Paul in writing this is that also there's some other people who are hearing this letter. And we've made mention of this along the way here, but that's, that's helpful to me to know this isn't just Paul to Timothy, though it is. It's not just that. It's more than that. It's also Paul to the church. He's writing in the plural. The last line is, hey, grace be with you all. So the, the implication is he means the Ephesian church at the very least. But the custom was you would make copies of this letter and take it to the surrounding churches because they're like, hey, what'd Paul say? What'd Paul say? I want to know about it. So they'd go and they'd read the letter aloud in the synagogue. And a number of his other letters, he makes mention of this practice. But he's saying, grace be with you all. And I believe, truly, this extends all the way to us. That if we are in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, grace be with you all. These last words of Paul is the grace that he experienced. This guy who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who knew his Old Testament inside and out, who was so zealous for those things that he was persecuting and murdering the early Christians. Think, think about the weight that that carried as he moved forward in life, that he was responsible for that. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. Graciously, the Lord opened his eyes and showed him a better way and, and made Paul the apostle for the Gentiles. Turned his life around. It was his experience of the grace of God in his life that changed everything for Paul. He had firsthand experience of that. And the last word he leaves to the church is grace be with you all. That's the first and last and most powerful word of encouragement he can give to us and that's where he leaves us. What a powerful last line. So Timothy, don't be timid. The Lord is with your spirit and to all of us, you can't separate Jesus from the grace of God. Dwell on the grace of God. And our combat manual we've been building, that's the first and last word, the grace of Jesus Christ. And what we believe in essence is that because of our sin, we are in a catechism, a distance between us and God. And Jesus put the sin and shame that we are due on himself and paid that penalty on the cross and redeemed us so that we could be restored back into right relationship, right standing with God. The good news is that like, we're all dirty, rotten sinners at heart. And we aren't good enough. But Jesus, Jesus made a way. And the encouragement is he will be with your spirit, dwell on his grace, and he's left us his word. And every bit of it, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the men of God, so that we all would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything we need to do anything that God calls us for is in this word, and by the power of his spirit, we can do it. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. Paul warns over and over, it's going to be hard. We are going to suffer. But take heart, Christ has overcome the world. Look to your left and right. We have brothers who do this with us. We're not meant to be alone. And in whatever season we are in, the Lord is faithful. So we're called to be faithful too. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, 2,000 years after this letter is written, it is still active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that... uh, Thank you for the relationships that you give us, for the men who have been at our table for maybe this is the first week or maybe the last 13 weeks. Um, Thank you for how you have not only placed them in our lives, but us into theirs. I pray, God, I pray, Spirit, that you would uh, bring about great gratefulness and thankfulness this morning um, and that we would glorify you for being the giver of those good gifts. God, would you help us to be faithful stewards of whatever you've entrusted us to, whether it's our marriage or our singleness, whatever you've given us in our time, talent, and treasure, would we be faithful in how we use it to further the kingdom to glorify you? We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you made a way, and we thank you that because of you, we have hope, and thank you for your grace that we can rest in because your spirit is with us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.